I'm Kelsey. I'm going to be reading the Bible for us. We are in 2 Corinthians 5. It's on page 1160 in the Bibles in front of you. And we are reading verses 11 to 21. Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade others. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it is also plain to your conscience. We're not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than what is in the heart. If we are out of our mind, as some say, it is for God. If we're in our right mind, it is for you. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So, from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Well, folks, it's good to be back at uh, St. Matt's uh, Manly. Um, like Bruce said, I think it was 14 months ago. I reckon I've been back before, uh, after that, but... Uh, it's always good to get back and uh, be amongst family. So uh, great to see you all again. Friends, I want to speak on the topic of a reconciliation that works. During October, probably October through to the end of December, um, the residents of this country are going to vote in a referendum. Um, and the thing that underpins this notion of rep uh, referendum is the word reconciliation. And it concerns me a little bit that this, this uh, referendum is seeking to bring about a oneness with the First Nations people of this country. But let me open the, what it is that I'm wanting to say and uh, we can have some discussion over a cup of tea after. In 1991, a report into Aboriginal deaths in custody was handed down by the then commissioner appointed to oversee the Royal Commission into why Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people were dying in custody. The handing down of this report marked the formal beginnings of the process of reconciliation in this country. The Royal Commission recommended that all political leaders and their parties recognise that if reconciliation between Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples and their Australian and other Australians is to be achieved, if community division 
discord and injustices are to be addressed uh, to the First Nations people of Australia, if they were to be avoided, there needed to be a process for reconciliation. Soon after, the Commonwealth Parliament voted unanimously to establish a Council for Aboriginal Reconciliation. And they were tasked with promoting reconciliation between Aboriginal uh, and Torres Strait Islander peoples and the wider Australian community. One of the first events staged by this council was a walk for reconciliation. And many of you will remember that particular walk. It took place on the 28th of May in the year 2000, where more than 300,000 people made the walk across the Sydney Arbour Bridge in support of reconciliation. 22 years later, the question was asked, what have we achieved? Over 22 years of trying to address this issue, or the issue of a divided country, what have we achieved? And I want to suggest very little. Later on this year, you'll be asked to vote in the referendum that places into the government documents, the founding government documentation of this country, a voice for Indigenous people. And like we said, the underpinning of this referendum is this word reconciliation. And reconciliation being a way forward for addressing the issues of past injustices and the need to address current policies that affect our First Nations people. The Archbishop of Sydney, Kanishka Ruffle, has harks that we and you, more in particular, give a compassionate consideration in moving forward when it comes to voting in the referendum. My friends, what the Archbishop is not asking is that you vote in favour of the voice. So let's not get that mixed up. He is asking that we give a compassionate consideration as we prepare to vote later on this year. So the underpinning of this desire is to be better reconciled with our First Nations people of this country. Is such a voice going to deliver what this country needs? That's the, that's the overarching question. Will it achieve what people think it's going to achieve? And that is reconciliation. The word reconciliation suggests that uh, conciliation existed in the first place and that conciliation was severed and now we needed to be reconciled. You can't have reconciliation without first having a conciliation. And so you ask, how can we achieve reconciliation without first being uh, con conciliated with one another? The country has endeavoured to address this issue of disunity. The question that has to be asked is, is true reconciliation possible outside the church? In 2 Corinthians 5.18 to 20, we have what I believe to be the prescription for a reconciliation that does work. And it doesn't come from a walk over a bridge. It doesn't come from two parties sitting down and discussing how they can be one it doesn't involve a council saying what will and what won't work for bringing people together as one. 
It doesn't come from enshrining an indigenous voice in one of the founding documents of this country. 2 Corinthians 5 tells us how reconciliation can be achieved. The Bible is the only source of true reconciliation that exists today. It'll be the only source that exists, the true source of reconciliation that will ever exist. Why? Because it totally removes the motives of, the, of human desire and places it with God. Reconciliation begins with God. Biblical reconciliation as at its primary focus, a God and man relationship and not man and man. We need to hear that. As we are reconciled to God, then we become members of his family and therefore one with one another. You might say, well, what do you mean? You might ask. Well, let's look at our text. And this is what it says. All of this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us a message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. My friends, I want to make a couple of observations if I may. Firstly, I want to say that people outside of Christ are on, a Christless, uh, are on the road to a Christless eternity. They are heading for an eternity without God. The sins of Adam have been passed on from generation to generation and therefore, should they remain this way, they will remain outside of Christ and without hope. In order to have reconciliation, there must have been some kind of conciliation, some kind of oneness. And you can't have reconciliation without conciliation. And my people say that this conciliation never ever existed in this country. And so how can you have a reconciliation? What we need to be working towards is establishing a process of conciliation. Then and only then can we work towards reconciliation. How does this happen in the Bible? Well, the Bible has a lot to say about reconciliation because that's what God is all about. He wants to have a relationship with his created humanity. And so the process and the, the process for which that happens is a, is a reconciliation process. But how did this happen, you might ask? Well, remember back in the Garden of Eden, Genesis chapter 2, after God created mankind, he placed them in the garden to take care of it. God, through his graciousness, told Adam and Eve that they could eat of any tree in the garden except for the tree in the middle of the garden, which was the tree of knowledge of good and evil. He says, the day that you eat thereof, you will surely die. Friends, when God first created mankind, he had a perfect relationship with them. He had perfection when it comes to conciliation. But remember what happens. We all know the story. We're all taught it as, as kids growing up. 
Adam and Eve ate of the fruit that they were forbidden to eat. As a result, they were removed from the garden, from the presence of God. And that conciliation that existed was broken, it was severed. God said to them, the day that you eat thereof, you will surely die. Death happens in two ways, doesn't it? There is physical death and there is spiritual death. When God says that they would die, he meant it. The moment that they partook of the fruit, they died spiritually. They were taken from the presence of God, placed outside the Garden of Eden, and the, presence of, and, and the Garden of Eden represented God's presence. And so the oneness that they had with God was severed. As a result, they were expelled from the garden and from God's presence. Following spiritual death came physical death. The Bible teaches us that it is appointed unto man once to die, and after this, the judgment. As a result of Adam's sin in the garden, the whole of humanity would be born into sin. Everyone ever born was born with a sinful nature from that time. And this, my friend, resulted in spiritual death. The other matter of death is physical death. Should the Lord tarry, should the Lord tarry, we will all die one day. The statistics are correct, aren't they? That one out of every one person dies. And that is so, so true. I have taken many funerals over many years in my time, and many of them, um, they were difficult funerals to take. Why? Because the person who was laid in that casket, I was unsure as to whether or not they were in the presence of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, or whether or not they had gone to a Christless eternity. They are the difficult funerals to take. The only thing I could say to these families was that the person's eternal destination is God's business and not ours. And that God would do the right thing according to his plan and purpose for that person. The point I want to make is this. As a result of Adam's sin in the garden, people outside of Christ are on a collision course with an eternity without God. And my friends, there might be some people here this morning that might be in that situation. If you, know, if you don't know Christ as your Lord and Saviour, then that's your destination. Everyone's on a collision course with an eternity without God. Should they want to um, have a relationship with God that guarantees them hope, then God... Um, may do that work of grace in their lives. And if that's you, then no doubt Bruce and his team would love to hear from you. My friends, the gospel brings hope, does it not? Too right it does. The message of the cross is a message of relationships. It's a message of God having a relationship with his people. These relationships were instigated by God. It was God in Christ reconciling the world to himself. That is the message of the Bible. That is the message of the cross. God was at work, working to have a relationship with his created humanity. So let me explain the difference between what I've called secular reconciliation and biblical 
reconciliation. Secular reconciliation says this, and this is what everyone is working towards outside the church. This is what Australia is working towards outside the church. Secular reconciliation says, if you do something for me and I do something for you, we can have a relationship. Biblical reconciliation, on the other hand, says it's not what you do for me or what I do for you, it's what Christ has done for both of us. Do you see the difference? There is a real difference in this. Biblical reconciliation has God as its focus, as Christ as its focus. The reconciliation that we as the church are called to is biblical reconciliation and not secular reconciliation. And my concern is that we have been, um, our focus has been tarnished somewhat throughout this whole referendum process. We need to remain focused on what our core um, operations are. And that is to proclaim the gospel because we know that the gospel brings about true reconciliation in this space. Let me share with you a couple of things what reconciliation is not. And reconciliation doesn't mean unity. Think about it for a minute. Think about situations in the New Testament narrative where disunity had taken place or where it could have taken place. The first group, the first group that comes to mind with me are the disciples themselves. In Mark chapter 10, we have the story of James uh, and John, the sons of Zebedee. And they go to Jesus and they ask him, teacher, they say, we want you to do something for us. Hey, these guys are bold, eh? We want you to do something for us. Don't worry about the other 10, just do it for us. That would be really helpful. And he says to them, he said, what do you want me to do? He asked. They replied, let us let one of us sit at your right hand and the other at your left hand in glory. And Jesus says to them, you don't know what you're asking. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptised with the baptism I am baptised with? We can, they answered. And Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptised with the baptism I am baptised with. I reckon they didn't understand what he was talking about. But it was prophetic for them because they too would give up their lives. But in verse 40 of Mark chapter 10, it goes on and says, but to sit at my right hand or my left hand is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. And verse 41, note this, guys. When the ten, when the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Were they reconciled? Of course they were, because reconciliation is a positional truth. It's not something that they needed to work towards because they've already had a relationship with the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So reconciliation doesn't mean unity. There is another example in Acts chapter 15 where Paul and Barnabas had just come back from the first missionary journey where they proclaimed the gospel and churches were set up, people came to faith in Christ. And they wanted to go back and visit some of those churches. And so we pick up the story in verse 36 and says, Sometimes later, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. 
Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. But Paul did not think it was wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they, that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the believers to grace of the Lord. He went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Here they were, there were two guys or maybe four guys in a situation who were reconciled, but they weren't unified. They were having disagreements. So reconciliation does not mean unity. But are we to be unified in the life of the church? That's what we are to work towards. Do we not? Of course we did. Jesus prays in John chapter 17 for his disciples. Note what he says. I have revealed to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me and they have obeyed your words. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you gave me, for they are yours. All I have is yours and all I have and all you have is mine and glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, verse 11 says, but they are still in the world and I am coming to you. And note what he says next, and I love this. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me. And what was it that he wanted to pray for them? So that they may be one as we are one. That is the heart of the Father for his church, that, that we as God's people would be one in him. And then Jesus prays for all believers. Verse 20 says, My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through the message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Friends, reconciliation doesn't mean unity. Unity is so important, however, to the heart of God when it comes to faith and ministry. And I don't know why I'm preaching this up here. I know that Bruce doesn't have any problems with disunity in the life of his church. Uh, but disunity happens. And we've got to guard the unity that we have in Christ. Have a look at the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And is it any wonder that one of the greatest burdens that brought our Saviour to his knees is that of disunity of his people? It was our disunity that caused our Saviour to usher, uh, to utter those words in John 17. We should expend our efforts in being unified with all believers, all members of God's family. Sure, we are to do good to all men but especially to the household of faith. Friends, that is what we are called to do. 
our position before a holy and righteous God is one is a one and our position with one another is one we are called to be a people of unity and that's possible within the life of the church sure and, and unity is possible outside the church uh, and that's what they're working towards at the moment we in the church we've been reconciled to God we were already one we just got to work out better ways of living out that oneness that we already have it places a bigger demand on our responsibility to one another when we see reconciliation in that way and so in order to have unity then we must care for one another and it's not just a one-way thing you caring for me i have a responsibility to you as god's people as brothers and sisters in christ that's what god would have us do so the question that needs to be asked will the referendum bring bring about reconciliation between the first nations uh, people of this country and the rest friends i don't believe so i don't believe so will it bring about unity maybe there'll be elements of unity that will be achievable but in terms of true reconciliation we have a biblical mandate to be god's ambassadors in this country for all people reconciliation true reconciliation will only be achieved as people come to faith in christ and paul reminds the corinthian believers that we are ambassadors for reconciliation that's the reconciliation that we need to be working towards not all this other stuff that's happening out there in community sometimes we can be distracted from our core business within the life of the church and we need to be aware that that's out there as well bringing those who god is calling to himself to christ sharing with them the love of god then and only then will true reconciliation in this country work will work let me pray and then i want to hand it back to bruce heavenly father we thank you that we have the assurance that reconciliation is possible within the life of the church father we acknowledge that there are times when we've been distracted from what our core business is and so father we confess our wrongdoing in this space and we ask lord and we seek your forgiveness father help us to think clearly as the time comes to uh, vote on this referendum But Father, we will uh, vote in an intelligent way, think through the issues. And Father, that we just won't go with the culture of the day. That we will, Father, make a stand for Christ in some way, shape or form. So Father, continue to be with us and continue to struggle, or challenge, sorry, challenge our hearts as we continue to struggle with this difficult subject. We ask and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.